Triple Play Fantasy's basketball show with Doc, Coach, and Brass Dadamas starts now. We welcome in a man, not one through five, but the sixth man, the man who has a mustache many envied, a 16-year NBA veteran, two-time Sixth Man of the Year award, 1991 NBA All-Star who dropped a smooth 14,467 points in his career. If you watched him, you can call him Big Paper Daddy, but if you're close with him, you can call him the Deuces. Although he was known for coming off the bench, he would never be there too long once he stepped on the floor. He's starting our week off, right? We welcome in Ricky Pierce. Ricky, how's it going? Hey, good, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Ricky, it is a pleasure having you on here. You know, I, I don't think the kids today know what a bucket you were. You were the Lou Will and Jay, Craw before, Jay Crawford before they were around. Well, you know, I just had a, a great time playing, man. I really enjoyed the game. And it's good to see those guys keeping the sixth man alive. They're getting really a lot of exposure. I'm really happy for those guys. Agreed. And, you know, I, I want to take our listeners kind of through the timeline of your basketball journey. So you graduated from Garland High School and started your collegiate career at Walla Walla Community College. During the 1978 to 79 season, you were part of the team that made it to the conference championship and made the all-tournament team. This caught some eyes as then you transferred to Rice. So I know Coach had a question that he wanted to ask about your college career. All right, Coach, shoot. Absolutely. So uh, you come on the scene, you averaged 19 as a freshman, 21 as a soft. Junior year, you averaged 27. You end up being the highest points per game in college in Rice history. Like, how, like, how did you do it? How fun was that college experience to be the guy on campus for, you know, three years? Sounds exciting. Well, well determination. I really enjoyed playing basketball. And I was really checking out the competition in the conference. A lot of guys I came up playing against in high school. And, you know, I really wanted to compete well against those guys. So, Ricky, I'm curious, you know, I think your road to the NBA is really unique. As you stood out everywhere you went, you were always underestimated to some extent. I'm curious to know some of the things you can't find on Wikipedia, you know. What was your upbringing like, and how did you discover your love for the NBA? Well, I came up in family of nine, you know, four four brothers, four sisters. I mean, I came up in a, in a fantastic household, uh, 11 family, mother and father, brothers and sisters. I mean, it was tough, but, you know, we had a great time. I mean, we had fun every day. And and where did your where did your love from the game come? Like, did you always know that you wanted to play basketball or were you a football guy? Like, how did that come about? Well, Brad, to be honest with you, I really want to be a singer. I mean, I love music. Uh, like your wife. I, yeah, like my wife. But I figured this out, man. I couldn't dance no. and I couldn't sing. So I said, you know what? That's not your sport. I mean, so I go. saw turn everything to athletics. Well, it's a, it. it's a good thing that you did because as Coach mentioned, 
You're the current leader in career scoring average with 22.5 points per game at Rice, and that success translated into the NBA as you were taken 18th to the Detroit Pistons. You were the first player ever to be drafted in the first round of Rice, so some more accomplishments there. And from there, you went to the San Diego Clippers, uh, where you started, which is the opposite of what you were known for. In fact, your first start, you dropped a smooth 30 points against the Spurs. However, that, was, that wasn't your career high. So, Ricky, I want to ask, do you know your career high and against what team? Well, I believe it's uh, Sacramento, 46. Okay. 45. Yeah. I, I won't ding you. Maybe. 45 and 46. You know, I went on the internet and it said 45. I can double check that. You probably know better than the internet. Well, you're probably um, right. It's been a long time ago. <laughs> he lived it. It has to be 46. Exactly. It's 46 in my book. It, it's 46 in my book. That uh, that lane violation that a ref had will wipe away. <laughs> but, right. So it really seems like you kind of hit your stride with Milwaukee, and that's where your career flourished. And you got reunited with your coach from Rice, Mike Shiler, and you'd go on to average 17 points per game over the next six seasons. Was his kind of very disciplined and tightly wound coaching style part of the reason for your success, or what really allowed you to do well with that team? Well, I have a lot of respect for Mike. You know, when I, when I played for him at Rice University, he was very stern and upfront. You know, he, he would let you know what he expect from you. And so that's instilled more of the discipline that I that carried over more into the Milwaukee system. Uh, and he was a great help there for his, you know, keeping me focused. And uh, I mean, I really respect Mike for that. And for his Milwaukee, you know, just a great group of guys uh, with Sidney Moncrief. Those guys were great leaders. They were there when I got there. Uh, and Paul Pressey. They were great team players, and especially with Coach Don Nelson, for any young player, if they can get an opportunity to play for Don, I mean, he's tough, but he will teach you how to play the game, and that's what I needed, especially coming from playing at Rice. You know, I started off playing small forward in that transition, transition to shooting guard. Tough transition. You know, Ricky – I'm hearing you talk about your role and, and what you're expected to do. And it's interesting. Like, we, we talked with Adrian Danley, who gave his feelings about it. I also read Craig Hodges' autobiography where he talks about it. I'm curious, what did it feel like at the time to be traded? And were you excited about it or nervous? Was there cultural differences among the teams and ownerships? How did that make you feel? How did you react to being traded? Because I can't imagine, you know, Ourselves, you know, we're not athletes. You know, we have regular run-of-the-mill desk jobs. And I can't imagine, like, somebody up and telling me, you know, you work for this company now. Like, so I'm curious, what is that like for you as an athlete? Well, I'm going to tell you the first time you get traded, you feel rejected. I mean, it's mm-hmm. more of a rejection. You know, most of the guys that came out from from grade school to high school to college, being a, a star player, and now all of a sudden they tell you they don't want you, you feel rejected. But then you realize that it's a business. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity once you get traded, you have to realize it's a business. And I wasn't playing with Detroit, so uh, 
it's an opportunity. You look at it as a chance for you to play. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did that serve as extra motivation for you to really kind of, especially be being reunited with your coach to say, you know, I want to show that the Bucks made the right move in trading for me. Well, you always want to go to a team that, that trade for you and play well, you know, because they have to, I'm sure, have to show the owners that, you know, we're making a decision to get this guy. And so and they're going to give you the best opportunity to play. So you just have to go out and work hard and, and do your thing. And did of you course, feel, did you feel course, more at home at any, at any particular franchise? Well, I felt comfortable at, with Detroit uh, when I got there. But then when you're sitting on that pine, yeah, you, you're uncomfortable. But when I went to Milwaukee, I felt more accepted. You know, they were more patient with me. And uh, it was fun. I, I was really relaxed there, and it felt fun. And also with Seattle, I mean, that was a good team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, you had mentioned that you kind of made Milwaukee your home. So, in six years with the Bucks, you only started forty-six games, and in the eighty-nine ninety season, you averaged twenty-three points per game and didn't start a single game, which is an NBA record. So, did you have a preference to come off the bench, or was that the role kind of the team wanted you to have? Well, I didn't really have a preference. I mean, whatever the team needed from me, I was there to do. Uh, if they wanted me off the bench, that's fine. But starting, that's cool, too. As long as you get your buckets, right? Well, you know, I just wanted to play. I mean, I was enjoying the game, and it was an opportunity for me to play and reach my goals. I mean, and that, that was the main thing for me, being able to play basketball. I mean, coming off the bench or starting. I wanted to point out, I know you said you, you didn't want to be on the pine, and then um, you get you get to Milwaukee – and you get to 23 points per game, only playing 26 minutes a game. One, how the hell were you so efficient? And two, do you ever think in your career, like, like I, I should be playing more here? Well, I, I think all players would like to play more minutes. Um, but you know, coaches have your minutes written in on who's going to start, how many minutes. Uh, and if you really plan well, they give you more minutes. What was really important to me is playing and being in the game at the end of the game, you know, when yeah. the game is over. Yeah. And, you know, that I think that's every basketball player's dream is, you know, being on the court in the final minutes. So after your time with Milwaukee, uh, you were there for six and a half years. Uh, you moved on to Seattle and were traded for Dale Ellison. You didn't miss a beat with Seattle as you won your second six-man-of-the-year award with them. and You made an all-star appearance in 1991, and I know Coach wanted to ask if you had any special memories from there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, you, you scored nine points on, a like, one of the best all-star formation teams that I've ever seen with Jordan, Dumars, Ewing, Barkley, Wilkins, Bernard King. You more than held your own. Um, in a 116-114 victory in the All-Star game. Like, what do you what do you take away from that? And what is something, like, that really stands out and really special to you about that experience? I mean, that's a great accomplishment, you know, to be able to play in the All-Star game. I mean, that just shows that 
uh, the coaches and the players, you real well respected as a player. And I think that's a lot of players dream young players to become an all-star. And I had fun with it. I mean, it was a fun time for me, you know, to be around those, as they say, the great players like Michael and those guys. I mean, it was a lot of fun, especially Bernard King. Uh, he came back after a really bad leg injury and, you know, I really had fun speaking with him. So, Ricky, take me back to, let's say you're 18 years old, you're at Walla Walla Community College balling out. What are your goals for yourself? And, and did you meet them? Did you exceed them? How, how did you think about what your career trajectory would be? I think when you're in a community college or a junior college as a young ball player, the dream is to get to a, a major university where you mm -hmm. can show your skills and shine and have an opportunity to get to the big league. That was my goal, to get to the big league. So you exceeded that by leaps and bounds. You're an all-star. You're, you're a legendary NBA player. Like, how, Do you feel proud of yourself? Like, Do you ever think back and look at, like, I can't believe what I achieved? Or is it just kind of like, how do you think about it? Well, if you really look back on it, you look back as a blessing, you know, that you was able to get there with all the great players that tried, that didn't get there. And I was one of the guys. I mean, I just feel, thank God for it, because that was one of the my goals that I wanted to, to reach is to become a professional basketball player. Um, with the Sonics, although you guys didn't win a championship with that talented team, you still did help them get to the Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals in 1993. And you finished out your career with the Warriors, Nuggets, Pacers, Nuggets, Hornets, and eventually hanging them up in a Bucks uniform, rightfully so. And towards the final five years of your career, you still averaged 10 points a game coming off a bench. So you were getting buckets till the end. But Ricky, the entertainment in your life doesn't stop there. You went back to Rice in 2012 to finish your degree in kinesiology, 30 years after leaving the school. Now, I read you had anxiety attacks at first, which is totally understandable, but you played in the NBA and probably could do endorsements, public speaking. Just your name alone could get you a lot of opportunities. So what made you want to go back to school? Well, that was one of my dreams also, to be able to graduate from college. And um, a friend of mine's, he talked with me a lot about, okay, maybe you can reach that goal if you really wanted to. So I say, okay, I'll give it a shot. But the anxieties came in once yeah. I got to, to uh, back to the classes. When I look back and I see students in there, 17 and 18 years old. I mean, that was, it was different. Mm -hmm. It was really different. Did any of them say to you, hey, uh, my dad or my, you know, my uncle watched you growing up? Well, I think the professors, some of the professors, you know, they watch me more than the students were saying, hey, my dad, you know, I think it was more the professors at the school that was talking about the rice days and, you know, the same thing you guys are saying right now. Hey, man, what was it like in the NBA? More of that came from the professors. So, so Ricky, you're telling me they weren't treating you like a walking legend? Uh, you know, the last time you were, you were on campus, you were averaging 27 a, a game, a contest in college basketball. 
Well, that's one of the things I like about Rice University. Uh, they treat you like normal people. I mean, they, it's not like going to a really major university where they put you on a pedestal and and all of that stuff. I mean, they were just real with you, you know. And that's one of the things that was attractive uh, about Rice. Well, Ricky, you want to be treated like a normal person, but you're not normal. You're you're pretty extraordinary. And, and watching your highlights, one of the reasons you had such a silky smooth touch was that you're one of the only scorers I've seen that shoots the ball with your fingertips like you're supposed to. You know, most people shoot with their whole hand and they kind of gooseneck their wrist. Who taught you to shoot and, and kind of talk about your, your upbringing with that? Well, if you look at some of the best shooters that played the game, you see shooting off your fingertip pads going to give you better control and the ball going to rotate. If you have it in the palm of your hand, it's like shot putting. You know, you mm -hmm. won't have any consistency. And you notice the shot, you don't have the backspin. Mm -hmm. So, Ricky, I didn't mention this in the opening, but you're an entrepreneur. You developed your own basketball system that assists with shooting accuracy with specifically designed fingertip placement markers. For those who are living under a rock, it's called the AccuShot. And you shot a career 49.3% from the field. So I definitely think you're qualified to give shooting recommendations. What spurred you to come up with this idea and how was the process of actually creating this product? Well, it started with my young son. You know, I he was playing YMCA basketball. And a lot of the parents, you know, they would see my son. He was really playing great basketball. I was teaching him at a young age how to play aggressive. And so and some of the parents, you know, they recognized me and they came to me about, can you help my son? Can you show him the fundamentals of shooting? And I told them it's a lot of different fundamentals, but at the top, at the peak of your shot, if you put that ball on your fingertip pads, it's going to help them with the rotation. And that's how it's all, it all got started. Even today, I have young kids I'm training to shoot. I have quite a few that I'm teaching, and uh, it's been going really well. That's awesome. And for those who are curious and want to see more of the, of the product, where can they purchase it? Well, you can go to AccuShot22.com. Go to AccuShot22.com. Okay, perfect. We are talking with Ricky Pierce, two-time Six-Man of the Year Award, 1991 NBA All-Star. Brad, I know you want to hop in real quick with something. Ricky, I, I hear you. You're clearly a student of the game, a historian of the game. When you look at the people playing today, is there anyone that, number one, reminds you of yourself? And is there anyone that you see them play and you're amazed by today? Well, I don't really compare other players to me. Mm -hmm. But I see players that I really like. I mean, that scores. I really like guys that can put the ball in the basket and play the right way. Of course, you look at LeBron James. He's just a beast on the court. I mean, he do it all. And I love watching him. Uh, James Harden, you know, he's a terrific offensive player. I love the way he gets to the basket and score points. I mean, I like point guards as well, like Chris Paul. I mean, he's still doing his thing. 
and then mm-hmm. and one kid, that kid from Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic. Oh man. Boy, he can flat out score a basketball. I mean, flat out score. So Ricky and you Ricky know Steph, and you know Steph, Steph Curry. You know that guy been around. You know, it's just so many guys I can't just come up with their names, but that's one of the guys that he been a scorer for years. Let's say, uh, let's say, we make Ricky Pierce the GM of any team. You can have any players. It's like a sort of a draft from scratch. Like no players are on any team. How do you go about building your team? Do you look for shooting? Do you look for interior? What kind of what kind of players do you look for to make a winning team in today's NBA? Well, I look for distributors, guys that can really distribute the ball. Uh, especially if you have a guy like Durant on the team, you mm-hmm. know, getting, getting Durant his shots. Uh, you like Kawhi Leonard, that guy. I mean, terrific ball player. He can lock you down. He rebound. He pass. Um, that guy, and of course, Steph. I mean, how many big men do you have in the game right now? You know, they don't have really centers that's clogging up the middle. So you, you're really looking for players that can run up and down and handle the ball, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I would Yeah. So who would you get number one? You thinking about Luca, or if you started a franchise today, what player – would you, out of all of the candidates, who are you going over everyone else? Well, I would put them in positions. I mean, my 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 point guard. I mean, Luca would definitely be a guy that I would want because he can get baskets from anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, he's bad man. Uh, yeah. Durant. I mean, who do I pick first? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I just pull him out of a hat. You know, with those guys. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. Ricky, we like to conclude our interviews with a little rapid fire. So ten. Yeah, kind of I, I did want to. I did want to throw in a question before the rapid fire. If okay. I could. go ahead, go ahead. All right, because well, you it, it seemed like you really took pride in that six man um, role. I mean, you won the award two times, um, and I, I feel like you're kind of a trailblazer as far as like the the, the six man Vinny yeah. Johnson, and then now like Jamal Crawford. Uh, Luke well. Williams, they're they're getting their credibility. They're getting their like, okay, we really respect these players. And we understand how much worth they bring. Is there a sense of community with the six man like uh, just role and and pride in that? And do you guys like converse at all? Like, I'm just curious because it seems like there are few that stand out, and you're at a top tier when it comes to the greatest of all time. Well. You know, those guys, it's their era, first of all. And I think they're doing a great job. And the older guy, the six-man, like Eddie Johnson, he and I are really good friends. And, you know, we still communicate. And All-Star Weekends, you know, you'll run across the guys mostly that you competed against. I mean, we, we rarely run across the current players, especially with this uh, – a pandemic stuff and that with the bubble going on and all of that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah, we, we pride, we like it. I mean, because coaches can count on you to come off the bench and, and even get a team of upstart or keep the momentum going. 
I just think it's a more valuable and valuable thing these days, like that GMs notice real hoop, true hoop fans uh, really appreciate a ball scorer that comes off the bench and can carry an offense when, you know, say Steph Curry's resting or so, and then you don't skip a beat. And um, it, it seems like some of the top tier winning teams have really top tier six men and people that can really, really, really score the basketball off the bench. So, Salute to you, Ricky. Ricky, Thank you, sir. I'm, I'm curious. You know, I kind of I, I look at your career and I see all that you've done. But what do you what do you feel about when people compare eras? When they compare, you know, a Lou Williams to a Ricky Pierce, or you know, a LeBron James to a, a Larry Bird? Like, how do you feel as a as a true hooper, as somebody who knows the game as somebody who is a professional at their sport. When you hear people compare errors, do you think it's fair or do you think it's, it's something that you can't really do? Well, they're going to do that. I mean, because you have a lot of hoop fans that the era today, they love their players. Back in today when Larry and Magic and those guys was playing, you know, they love those guys. I mean, they can do it. I mean, they Keep the game going. Keep, keep, you know, the hoopla into the game. You know, I, I think that's a good thing. But how do you determine the GOAT? Can you compare those guys? Can you compare Michael and LeBron? They never played against one another, you know. Right. How, how can you do it? I mean, they both are spectacular players. Right. You, you know, you have great players and you have spectacular players. And I, and I put Michael, Julius Ervin, those guys are spectacular players to me. Giannis just signed, signed the max deal, $228 million. Seems like that was the team that, you know, you gave the most work to. How do you feel about that? Are you happy that a, a smaller market team locked up a generational talent and, you know, a two-time back-to-back MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo? And do you like Giannis? Is he is deserving? I mean, the guy is a fantastic basketball player, uh, and yes, I like Giannis. I mean, he needs some help, I believe, to win that championship. Uh, you have to surround yourself with players like you talked about earlier that can really uh, score the ball, move the ball around. Uh, he need help, but I'm really happy for him. I'm happy for the Bucks. That's my favorite team. Uh, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be pulling for the Bucks a little bit more this year. Um, Ricky, we like to get our guests out on here. We do a little rapid fire, little 10 question, this or that. Um, you up for it? Sure, why not? All right, first one. Who's the better bench scorer, Lou Will or Jamal Crawford? Uh, probably, I don't know, maybe Lou. I mean, if you look at the averages, I think Lou maybe. I mean, it depends, you know. I mean, I think either one. They're they're both bucket getters. All right, next That's one. Right. Would, would you rather score 50 in a game and lose or score two points, but it's the game winner? Oh, I'd rather win the game with the two. Okay. All right. Not, not all about your stats. I love it. Team player. Pancakes, waffles, or French toast? Oh, pancakes probably for me. All right. 
All right, what kind of pancakes? Uh, my wife pancakes. She makes right. pancakes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Would you rather look strong and be frail or be strong and look frail? Be strong and look frail? Yeah. Or um, look strong and be frail or actually be strong, but you look frail? I don't know. Maybe be strong and look frail, maybe. I mean, I, 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 I want to be bet. strong. Yeah. You talk to a man that looks strong his whole life. That is true. <laughs> I should have known that answer. Would you ra- rather eat brownies with a chance that there's rocks inside them or eat an entire jar of mayonnaise? Oh, Joe, what? Or eat an entire jar of mayonnaise. Ugh. No, I can't deal with nothing. No. <laughs> That's too dangerous there. Both of those are dangerous. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, but there's not one that you would pick over the other? Rocks or mayonnaise? Yeah. <laughs> Answer's no, E. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't do it. All right. Would would you rather hit it big in a singing career or hit it big with the AccuShot? Hit it big with AccuShot. The reason I say hit it big with AccuShot, because singing is really just for me and the AccuShot is for others. I mean, you know, no restrictions with with the AccuShot. Other people can take advantage of it. Okay, I like that answer. Once again, team player. So I, I saw this in an interview, and maybe you still have them, but I saw you had 10 horses at your house in Texas. So would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? 100 what? 100 <laughs> duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? One horse-sized duck. <laughs> That's too funny, man. Y'all is too funny. <laughs> Without a pen on what I have to fight him with. You just your fist, but I feel like you're someone that has a nice right hook. <laughs> probably, probably just one. I would uh-huh. rather go up against one. Okay. He's from Texas. He's from Texas. I know he's got a gun too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I, would, I would take Ricky against the duck. Would you rather have every shirt you wear be kind of itchy or only be able to use one ply toilet paper? That's cold, man. Why are you asking? Let's, <laughs> let's go with the itchy shirts, okay? <laughs> These are good ones. Though. you got to think a little bit about it. All right, last two here. I promise. I, actually, I'm not going to promise because they are kind of weird. Would you rather give up Instagram for three months or only have a flip phone the rest of your life? Wow. I like my flip phone. Matter of <laughs> fact, I had a flip phone for quite a while. And my daughter, she told me, Dad, you have to get rid of your flip phone. It's out outdated. And I wanted my flip phone. But the flip phone had to go. So I have to go, go with my, my Instagram. All right. All right. I love it. About the social media. Last one here. Would you rather have to fart loudly every time you have a serious conversation 
or have to burp after every kiss? <laughs> That's too funny there. How did you come up with these questions? Uh, he's, he's Eric, man. He's the GOAT. Yeah. He's our host. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Just spend some time thinking about what's tough to answer. You, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Sometimes both of them can give you a relief. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you get a relief with both it. of them. Uh, hey, uh, hey, Ricky, since you seem to be the mustache aficionado, who we have Buck Chenier coming on tomorrow. Who has a better mustache, Phil Chenier or Tom Selleck? Better mustache. Phil Chenier or Tom Selleck? You know, I watch all of his shows. Uh, <laughs> that that police show. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Tom- I know blue what you're blood. talking about. Yeah, blue blood. There you go. Yeah, I love Tom, Tom uh, Selleck. Yeah, his mustache is nice. Yeah, I like his mustache. Yes. If there's someone to judge mustache, it's you, Ricky. Yeah, not not many of us can grow facial hair like Ricky. Um, hey, Coach, you, you spun a pretty nice one yourself now. <laughs> Ricky, I got to tell you, it took me 30 years of life. It seemed like you, first year in college, had this – Full out, but yeah, this took me 30 years of life to connect. Okay, all right, you look good though. Better late than never, right? That's right. Thank you, you got the mustache and the goatee now, Ricky. Oh, yeah, you know, I try to keep myself up, you know, because you get a little older. That don't mean you're just dead, you gotta still keep yourself up. Are you keeping up with Donnie Nelson these days? I know that he's got such a great rapport with his players. So, like, and you said you said something really nice about him, and um, and sometimes you really need that assistant coach to really push you. And it, as a young player, do you have anything to say about Donnie? And do you do you, do you have a connection with Donnie Nelson these days? Well, you know he's learned from the best. His dad, you know, yes. his dad was one of the best coaches I ever played for, if not the best. Is is for his being connected with his players, you know, uh, and Donnie learned from the best. So, and he's doing a great job. So, I mean, thumbs up to Donnie. I mean, he's hanging tough. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and he sounds like he sounds like a great coach, Ricky. It was a pleasure getting to talk with you, learn a little bit more about your career, the act you shot, just the amazing journey you've had in life. Um, for those who want to follow him, you can follow him on. At Instagram at AccuShot22Basketball. Twitter, Ricky C. Pierce. Ricky, it is a pleasure having you on. If you are listening, type in Ricky Pierce Highlights on YouTube and educate yourself. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you.